funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the fight for justice and affordability will be the centerpieces of Newark Mayor Roz Baraka's surprising gubernatorial bid. The secret sauce of politics is authenticity, and Raz Baraka is one of the most authentic uh, politicians in, this, in the country. Plus, heated words. And I'm making a simple statement, and you all are not allowing me to share my words and my comments. That is not a Am word I, I use in this I have, I have freedom of speech. From a hired, fiery pastor at last night's Old Bridge Board of Education meeting, where once again the controversial transgender student guideline policy was on the table. Also, four state psychiatric hospitals are under scrutiny after a new lawsuit details a history of abuse and neglect. And Seton Hall University celebrates a major milestone, welcoming for the first time to campus an NAACP college chapter. I definitely see the chapter helping in more advocacy efforts. Like again, we're coming up on a huge election year. I definitely want to make sure that all college students are able to vote and educated. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Wednesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Democrats used to consider him a radical. Now Newark Mayor Roz Baraka is running for the party's nomination to be the next governor. The mayor of New Jersey's largest city made his announcement unexpectedly on Monday during an impassioned speech for Black History Month. He's the third Democrat and arguably the most progressive to join the crowded field for the 2025 election. Baraka's roots run deep through Newark. He's planning to run on the legacy he's made there with a vow to fight for justice, affordability, and, as he's often said in the past, giving the power back to the people. But do his staunch liberal views make him electable in a statewide race? Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports. I want to be the governor of the state of New Jersey. As much speculation as there was about Newark Mayor Rasparaka running for governor, his announcement this week, which electrified this audience at the War Memorial in Trenton, took everyone by surprise, including, evidently, the campaign itself. I think he got caught up in the excitement. That room was filled with people from Cape May to Trenton to Somerset and Plainfield. Obviously, a lot of newer people. Um, and I think that they were giving him that energy. James G's Stono Public Affairs hosted the Black History Month celebration that served as the backdrop for the announcement. He's a longtime friend and advisor. He says Baraka, the mayor of the state's largest city, has a message that can resonate beyond the state's urban centers. So many people think that Newark is an anomaly. It's a place where people are struggling and trying to get from the first of the month to the 30th of the month. And I think Raz Baraka has discovered that the challenges of Newarkers are the challenges of New Jersey. Fruit Loops and Applejacks may look different, but they taste the same. 
at a speech and Q&A at Rowan University yesterday, Baraka brought that point home several times. But the reality is the issues that I'm talking about are not city issues. These are state issues. Housing is an issue in the state of New Jersey. Affordability is an issue in the state of New Jersey. Access to food is a problem in Cumberland County, is a problem in Warren County, is a problem in Essex County, is a problem in Union County. We're not talking about problems that are germane to black people. We're talking about problems that are, that are problematic for all of us in the state of New Jersey, and we all have a responsibility to address them together. Barack is a former school principal and city council member. He's never been a glad-hander or particularly friendly to press. He's run a tight political operation in the city and has not been seriously challenged in two re-election campaigns. But he joins a Democratic field that already includes Jersey City Mayor Steve Fulop, former Senate President Steve Sweeney, and will likely be joined by Congress members Mikey Sherrill and Josh Gottheimer. So as the pundits like to say... You've got to have a lane. And the geographic lanes are going to be um, tight, you know, particularly in Essex County. There's going to be more than one candidate coming out of Essex, it looks like, right? And so he doesn't get a clear lane. Nobody gets a clear lane. They get their own county, maybe if they're lucky, or they get, you know, two candidates from the county. So you've got to distinguish yourself in some other way. And I think the lane that he seems to be going after is the progressive lane, the most progressive candidate in the race. And as the son of poet, activist, and firebrand Amiri Baraka, the mayor says he is unafraid of the political challenges he may face. I look forward to the storms. Because as a matter of fact, I don't feel like I'm doing my job until the storm shows up. So I was born for these storms and I was born for this time. And so as this race goes on, New Jersey is never, ever going to be the same. No matter what happens in the end, you mark my words, the state will never be the same because Raz Baraka announced that he's running for governor in the state of New Jersey. As kickoffs go, Baraka's sent a charge into this race, but with the U.S. Senate primary and a presidential election all happening between now and the governor's race in 2025, he'll have to bottle that enthusiasm and sip slowly in order to make it last. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. House Speaker Mike Johnson made his first visit to New Jersey today since taking office, and he was greeted by a crowd of protesters. A group of progressive activists mobilized with Democratic congressional candidate Sue Altman to speak out against Johnson's appearance at a fundraiser in Union County for Representative Tom Kane Jr. Altman is vying for Kane's seat in the 7th Congressional District and taking every opportunity to connect his record with the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. Members of the left-leaning group's New Jersey Citizen Action, Planned Parenthood, and New Jersey Working Families, which Altman used to head, chanted, accusing Kane's record in Congress of being out of step with New Jersey values and saying his support of the speaker allows him to pursue extreme agendas. Kane's campaign declined to comment. A damning new lawsuit is accusing the state of running its psychiatric hospitals like prisons. A complaint filed this week by the advocacy organization Disability Rights New Jersey details heinous conditions for many of the roughly 1,100 patients being treated at four state-operated facilities and is suing members of the Murphy administration for allowing the conditions to persist despite past reports and even patient lawsuits. The complaint describes scenarios of patients 
patients allegedly being physically, sexually, and verbally abused, deprived of basic needs like showers and water, which is allegedly kept behind locked doors at nurses' stations. In one example, a patient allegedly suffered a permanent traumatic brain injury after being assaulted by other patients under the watch of hospital staff. In another case, a patient was sexually assaulted by a staff member while another kept watch. The lawsuit also highlights seven unexpected deaths disability rights say warranted investigations. We reached out to New Jersey's Departments of Health and Human Services, but they wouldn't comment on the pending litigation. We'll have more reporting on this on our website. Head to njspotlightnews.org. Culture wars fully erupted at last night's Board of Education meeting in Oldbridge after a pro-parental rights group brought in an outspoken pastor from North Carolina to help preach their views, all against the transgender education policy known as 5756. The board just recently pledged support for keeping 5756 intact. Now, as senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports, a new slate of members just found enough momentum to revoke it. Take him out, take him out. Old Bridge police escorted firebrand preacher John Amanchukwu out of the room on orders from the Board of Education during an emotional debate over repealing controversial policy 5756, the state's recommended transgender student guidance for school districts. The North Carolina pastor hit turbulence less than 30 seconds into his comments when he dropped the N-word. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. I find it look, yeah, that language. Point yes, of order. No, no, the, the, words, the responses. Uh, point of the order. Looks, all of the above. Matt, I, I, have, I, I, I have a right. I, I know you have a right, but I have, I have to cut this real short because no, you're upsetting us. No, I, I, not being that I'm not, is not language yes, we you, use yes, in the you school. Are, yes, you are, because you are being racist. Because at the end of the day, I can't get up here and speak. Amanchuku promoted his Old Bridge appearance on X, promising he takes on America's wokest school boards. And a speaker's board states he charges ten to fifteen thousand dollars for appearances. A quick Google shows he's often tossed from school board meetings. He lasted about nine minutes at the lectern in Old Bridge, most of it spent arguing before getting ejected. Sir, would you please leave the podium? Thank you. Take him away. Afterwards, the New Jersey Project, an anti-trans organization, posted on X, This got ugly real quick. I apologize to Rev W.U. Truth for all of New Jersey. The group actively campaigned for school board slates last fall. In Old Bridge, voters elected three new avowed pro-parental rights members, a new majority that flexed its new political muscle. Just hours before this meeting, the revamp board added an agenda item. Move the Board of Education approve the abolishment of policy 5756 to reverse the old board's vote adopting transgender guidelines. Speakers mobilized many from outside Old Bridge. Don Fabulas from Neptune. To undermine a parent's right, this is what this policy ultimately is, going to, is doing. I hope that you vote to preserve the sanctity of parents' God-given rights regarding their minor children and put 57.6 where it belongs in the trash. We in Oldbridge make our own decisions that outside influence is not necessary or welcome. Settle this nonsense once and for all and vote to keep this policy in place. It hurts no one. 
send these agitators home to their own districts, towns, and states. Many speakers hailed from Monmouth County where resistance to 5756 has sparked protests and lawsuits. After a couple hours of public comment, a board member who supported 5756 noted they'd gotten 104 emails asking to maintain the policy and only 38 against it. But one of the newly elected board members bluntly replied with a different number. Over 5,000 people voted for three candidates who openly advertised that they were against this policy, and I think that that speaks volumes. I can't knowingly abolish a policy that there isn't something else in place, something else for these children to help, even if it's one child. The life of one child is worth just a few minutes of contemplating. The board attorney advised they could legally revoke 5756 but not rewrite it without risking a lawsuit from Jersey's attorney general. The board voted 5 to 4 to rescind the policy. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. For the first time in campus history, Seton Hall University is welcoming a certified chapter of the NAACP. It's considered a major milestone for the school, which came about thanks to a student-led effort. Students were also the driving force last year in keeping Seton Hall's Africana Studies Department alive, holding protests and sit-ins on campus to revive what was New Jersey's first college-level program dedicated to the study of African-American history and culture. Now they're ushering in a new era. Seton Hall's NAACP chapter inaugural president, Imani Corbett, says they hope to bring about more equality and justice, and she joins me now. Imani, welcome. It is Hi, so great to you. have you. Congratulations, you. first off. This is obviously a huge honor. What do you see as the role of this chapter in the times that we're in right now? I definitely see the chapter helping in more advocacy efforts. Like Again, we're coming up on a huge election year. I definitely want to make sure that all college students are able to vote and educated on the political economy of now. I definitely hope to see more of um, Africana Studies programs implemented in the chapter as well with the help of the NAACP. You were pretty integral, yes, in getting this chapter to be uh, inaugurated on the campus. Was there a void or a gap that you saw that you felt, hey, this could be the thing that fills that? Yes, I think with the recent protests as well that we had last semester, I think that was kind of like the driving force in me wanting to help start the NAACP chapter, as well as what the NAACP has to offer for the college students. Where do you see in this coming year, we've got, you mentioned, a presidential election coming up, but in New Jersey, we also have a big U.S. Senate race. Next year, we've got a gubernatorial uh, election. More and more campaigns are looking to college students in their efforts to get the vote out. Do you see yourselves as a chapter being pretty pivotal in the elections coming up? Yes, definitely. I definitely want to help the college students get to know like what there is to vote and how to vote as well. Most college students, when you ask them, are you registered to vote, and half of them aren't, but I think that the NAACP, one of their big things is to help like get people to vote, so I definitely want to help them. Your advisor was recently quoted saying, you know, the first 20 years of this century are arguably more challenging for students uh, than perhaps many of the decades past. Do you agree? What do you see uh, as a college student? And we're talking about a, a university that is predominantly white. Um, what do you see as, as the challenges, and especially in promoting diversity on campus? 
Um, I see the challenge is maybe not enough people are possibly educated on diversity as well. You know, everyone's coming from different backgrounds, so I think in order to kind of fix that, I think everyone should take time and like get to know like everybody's different. We all have similarities as well. What's your first order of business uh, now that you are official on campus? I definitely want to be able to gain more members. The NAACP is all about like rise up and membership. So I'm definitely looking towards having freshmen become involved. I work in a freshman building as an RA, so it's much easier to kind of access them as well. Do you see a correlation between sort of starting the activism and the education in this area early on, say as a freshman, um, evolving as folks go through school. So if you're able to recruit students that young, do you see a difference there? I mean, you've been active in a lot of different areas um, on campus already. What difference does it make being involved at an early age? I think starting from an early age kind of helps like jumpstart their future career as well. And I think starting from an early age kind of adds like sustainability to the chapter and that's all like we want as a chapter as well. Your advisor is also now the head of the Africana Studies program that we mentioned. Do you see the two working hand in hand? Definitely 100%. The NAACP, they have a history of helping with historic Supreme Court cases in education such as the Brown versus Education Brown versus, versus Board of Education, sorry. So I definitely see the chapter and Protect AFAM helping each other out. Imani Corbett is the new president of the NAACP chapter at Seton Hall University. Imani, great to talk to you. Thanks Thank so you much. Thank you for having me. Unless Congress acts by the spring, one in 10 New Jersey households getting affordable internet through a federal program will be cut off. That's the charge from Congressman Frank Pallone, who serves as the ranking Democrat of the Energy and Commerce Committee. He called on the head of the FCC to join him today at a press conference, urging Congress to re-up money for the connectivity program they call a lifeline. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports. If you don't have internet service today, uh, then what, is, what does that mean? Well, it's hard to get a job, right? It's hard to get an education. It's hard to do everything, even shop, right? I mean, everything uh, is so dependent on the internet. And yet 23 million households in the U.S., 338,000 of them here in New Jersey, may lose internet access soon. That's because a bill that helps subsidize the cost of internet for seniors and families who can't afford it is set to expire. Essentially what that does is provide, it depends, but at a minimum, a $30 per month, um, you know, help to pay uh, for your internet. When this program first got up and running, I know the White House worked with a lot of providers some of them serving rural areas, some serving urban areas, to really encourage them to make available high-speed broadband at a $30 price point and to have a quality service available right at the discount rate for the affordable connectivity program. Meaning that millions of families were able to access their internet for free, says FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel. The affordable connectivity program was first passed during COVID when the digital divide came into focus. And I'm sure you saw it here in New Jersey too. You know, kids who would sit with borrowed laptops in front of fast food restaurants and libraries just to use the free Wi-Fi signal to go to class. Seniors who couldn't keep up with those telemedicine appointments because they just didn't have the bandwidth. 
and people who weren't getting the information they needed on a day-to-day -day basis to really participate in modern life. The bill was expanded as part of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed by Congress in 2021, but the program has now run out of funds. If we can get the $7 billion for the rest of this fiscal year, uh, then the program would continue uh, at least until October and then gives us an opportunity to continue it beyond. Several community organizations spoke in support of extending the funding, pleading with Congress to come together on the issue once more and not force families back into the days of darkness. There was a consensus in this country when there's very few consensus on many other things that we didn't want to go backwards, that we didn't want to see those images of kids in parking lots trying to get internet access on their little tablets. The question around internet access and having a reliable, quality, fast internet access is one of the great civil rights challenges our time. Without access to affordable high-speed internet, communities will suffer and lose out on opportunities to learn, to find jobs, and stay healthy. Chris Widello from AARP shared the perspective of one of his members. She shared with us that if they took ACP away, it would be like taking food out of my mouth. It's our duty as NAACP members to support internet connection for everybody because it's, it's no longer, like they say, it's no longer a luxury. This is what we need to function. The FCC stopped accepting new applications on February 7th, a move that will help them continue funding existing households at least through the end of April. But if Congress doesn't pass the new Affordable Connectivity Program extension bill, funding will run out completely by then. If we are unable to get additional funding from Congress, those households will no longer get $30 a month in support. And so every household will have to make some hard choices. Uh, do they cut gas, groceries? Do they cut the internet service? Congressman Pallone is working to get this bill passed by attaching it to the omnibus appropriations bill. If that fails, he'll try an emergency appropriation. He says anything to keep this bill from expiring. In Red Bank, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In our spotlight on business report, offshore wind enthusiasts know nothing worth having comes easy, and they're invoking that mantra as they continue the effort to bring the industry here. The Sweeney Center at Rowan University today held its third offshore wind energy conference, and it included the three companies recently selected to build wind farms that'll supply power to the Garden State. Ted Goldberg has the details. Question is, do we want a bronze medal or a gold medal? For damn sure, I want the gold medal, and I think you all do too. Despite protests and setbacks, leaders spoke confidently about the future of offshore wind energy at Rowan University today. I'm going to try and get through this whole talk without using a certain Danish word that has a strike through one of the vowels. <laughs> New Jersey Economic Development Authority President Tim Sullivan might be talking about Orsted, the Danish power company that gave Governor Murphy a Halloween surprise by bailing on its plans for two offshore wind projects. The state continued with a fourth round of solicitations, and a few weeks ago, the Board of Public Utilities approved two new projects, which they say could power around two million homes. A lot of folks would have melted in the heat of what was happening in the fall or in this industry. Um, and this governor has stood tall and strong, and if not, if anything, taller and stronger since then. This is New Jersey. We don't shy away from a challenge. We hit it head on, and I think you can all agree that we're on the right track, moving full throttle to make New Jersey a national leader in the offshore wind industry. BPU President Christine Gulsadovi repeated what New Jersey leaders have said for years. If the state does not pursue offshore wind, there will be consequences. There is a cost to doing nothing. Climate change impacts related to infrastructure, stronger storms, 
you know, health impacts related to air pollution. Governor Murphy's administration is about New Jersey doing our part to mitigate climate impacts while safeguarding ratepayers and advancing the clean energy economy. There are probably people in the world who still think offshore wind is some like liberal pipe dream. This ain't one of them. This is an industry that is being invested in by some of the most sophisticated and well-capitalized companies in the energy industry and their infrastructure investors. Some of those companies sent representatives to speak at the Sweeney Center today. They acknowledge that public approval of offshore wind has tumbled in New Jersey, according to surveys done by Monmouth University. And the best way to move forward is by more communication with the public. There is a need for early and often engagement. Um, I would say that there's an increased need to get ahead of it. I think that's super important to just remind with that this, this is a constant conversation that has to be engaged with by everyone. Along with fighting climate change, leaders say offshore wind could bring thousands of new jobs and create opportunities for college students like those at Rowan University. From preparing the workforce of the future to performing the research and development needed to ensure the near-term and future success of the offshore wind industry, we are ready to do this thing. Even if there are more setbacks to come. Sometime between now and the finish line of this industry, there will be some other challenge. Something else bad will happen. That's the nature of building a brand new industry. If you had sold all your Apple stock in the late 90s, you'd feel pretty stupid right now. There's still a long way for these sites to go. The offshore wind projects approved this year aren't projected to start seaside construction for four years, and they're not going to produce electricity until at least 2031. At Rowan University, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. Turning to Wall Street, stocks slipped for a third day in a row. Here's where the markets closed. Support for the Business Report is provided by Junior Achievement of New Jersey, providing students with skills and knowledge to explore, choose, and advance their career paths for a bright future. Online at janj.org. And that does it for us tonight. Bud, make sure to tune into Chatbox with David Cruz tomorrow night. He talks with New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection Commissioner Sean LaTourette about plans for Liberty State Park, the latest controversy over removal of lead water lines in Newark, and more. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.